Okay, so in a moment, I'm going to talk about a dam. But don't freak out. It's not damn like the curse word, like the naughty word. It's a dam like a thing that holds water back. You know, a dam. Like you dam up a river to make a, a reservoir. Reservoir. Is that better? So I'm going to be talking about a dam. So be ready for another damn podcast. Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you this fine day? So are you good? Are things grand and wonderful or not? I've noticed it kind of ebbs and flows. So I've got it lined out to talk to psychologist Mark McElhaney. He's, he's agreed to do it. Although he wanted, he, he wrote some um, amazing email back asking me what it would pay. And I had to tell him the answer was, it pays in adoration, love, and kindness. And he, he bit, I mean, he fell for it, so I think we're set. And he's going to talk about this, this sort of chronic COVID syndrome, which all of you know a lot about. So I, he's not, he probably didn't need to describe it. I think we could probably all describe it. But he's going to talk a little bit about how, how people cycle up and down. And with chronic exposure to this kind of stress, Right or this kind of risk is really a language we would be more comfortable with using. It's you're going to have um, good days and bad days. You're going to have a thing. It's dynamic. It's going to ebb and flow. And we know we've talked about this theoretically. We've talked about it operationally for years and years and years. It's so interesting to me that it's happening, and we can be our own little petri dishes, our own little case studies, as it were. And, you know, I've been talking about this with you guys for months now, but I'm, I'm curious how this, all this crises, these multiple crises is manifesting in, in how people behave differently, if, if what they're doing differently. Cause if, if context drives behavior and we, for the most part, belong to a group of people who think that that's true, right? Local rationale. We have lots of words for that. If context drives behavior, then in fact, by definition, the way we're behaving must be different now than it was, uh, let's pick a date, in October of last year, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a very interesting way to think about this problem, and I think that's worthwhile. It's at least worth a discussion with somebody highly qualified and highly skilled who um, can talk about this more than I can. Or maybe we can have an argument. That would even be better. But that's that's coming up. I finally got I, I promised you guys this for a long time, and he, he agreed, so that's good. A bunch of great and interesting podcasts are in the pike. A lot, a, kind of a lot, actually. Um, which has been another bizarre part of all of this that's going on is how much more people want to talk People who never wanted to talk before on the podcast are talking on the podcast. And I'm, I always try really hard to, to get other voices to include um, people that we wouldn't normally hear. I mean, I like talking to people we like and, and know. That's fun. But I also like getting people to talk to us that are outside of the realm of our normal sphere of influence. Our, you know, our, our little, as Thomas Kuhn would say, invisible college. 
the little uh, network we've created. And so, so that's coming up and there's just a, there's a bunch. I mean, it's just a bunch that amazes me. And then the other thing that amazes me and it kind of amazes me uh, and I'm using that word a lot, but the numbers of people who listen to the podcast has dramatically increased and keeps increasing. So I don't know what that means because it's always just been me and you, right? I mean, we've been hanging a while. I am more than pleased and, and tickled pink to have people join us. I think that's great. I, I'm curious what itch this is scratching or sorry. Is that right? What? Yeah, no, that's no, what scratch this is itching. No, go back to the first one just because that, that's always interesting to me considering virtually everyone on earth now has their own podcast. And I mean that everyone on earth has their own podcast. It's just nice to, to know people are, are a part of the conversation because that's, that's all I ever wanted. Anyway, it was just a conversation, just a way to talk about what's happening. And now millions and millions of downloads later, here we are still pretty much talking about the same crap, except for today, because today we're going to talk a little bit more about what I promised you. I, I wasn't joking when I said this is an, a, another damn podcast, although I don't know if I've done a first one, but the next one will truly be another damn podcast. This is just a damn podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit today about um, some information that collectively has been gathered by uh, lots of people. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, David Woods at the Ohio State University uh, Center for Resilience Engineering, those guys, uh, Sidney Decker, uh, a lot of people have been thinking about what it looks like now. And so the idea that we'll bounce back is not probably very realistic. And I'm not sure we want to go back to where we were because to a great extent, um, lots of our systems, a lot of our systems were not prepared for such a dynamic crisis. And we identified a lot of brittleness in our companies, certainly in our organizations, but also in the world. I mean, things like global supply chain, you guys, I mean, you're dealing with this all the time. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the idea of bouncing forward has has uh, some appeal to it. That, that that's a that's a pretty clever idea, and I actually think it's the right way to think about this because it puts the onus for our response really squarely on our ability to learn and improve, which is really ultimately the most important deliberate strategic management act any company, any organization in the world can do we need to consciously and deliberately learn and improve. And we're not terribly good at learning. We know that, but we're getting better because we're understanding a couple really important things. One is that the questions you ask matter. And so how you create an environment where people can tell you the truth. Um, Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety for years. We've talked about safety culture. What we're really talking about is that, we need to create a place where people can tell you the truth. And one of the ways we do that is by carefully understanding that the power is in the question. The power's always been in the question. And so we ask better questions and get better answers. We know that. And that's a huge part of how we're learning. The other thing we're learning, I think, which is really valuable, is that, in fact, the people truly do complete the operational design. So the best laid plans of mice and men, 
really only count on the men or women. I mean that in a non-gender specific way. That idea that the workers solve problems in real time became really apparent and is a huge part of our ability to thrive. This is a great opportunity to declutter. Look at what administrative controls were tossed aside in the midst of the crisis response. Which rules did you give up and just not follow? And then ask this question, do we need to return to those rules? Do we need to return to the level of administrative control that we've had? And out of that came kind of a lot of stuff. I mean, a, a bunch of stuff. But out of it came this idea of this bouncing forward presentation that we talk so much about, right? And it's it's fine. I mean, it's uh, it's available on the web, so you can watch at least one version of it. And and I've I've offered it many, many, many. I don't even know how many times. A, a, let's go with crapload. I've offered it a crapload of times, and for the most part, it's it's um it's just a discussion around what we observed. And what we observed was really kind of interesting because we observed, you know, a, a, a lot of things, but there, there were really sort of five things that the crisis taught us. The first one is that our systems are pretty brittle. And I think to a great extent that surprised some people. It certainly surprised organizations. It surprised consumers. Um, and that's okay. To, I mean, knowing that is pretty valuable. Secondly, we learned that anticipation, um, sort of weak signal identification, kind of operating on hunches, notions, ideas, small, tiny trends that we see, has not been seen traditionally as a legitimate strategy. It wasn't seen as, a, as viable data. And, and so that's been important for us to learn as well. Third thing we learned, which I just talked about, is that we're really bad at applying lessons learned from the past. And my guess is, we could talk about this more, but we probably should do a whole podcast on this. But my guess is, is that's more of a data input problem than it is a data output problem. I'm going to go back and tell you, I think we've just not asked the right questions and we've not really done a lot of after action reviews. We, we just, we don't talk about things after they are over for a couple of reasons. One is they're over and two is we're almost always on to the next thing. And so there's a tremendous amount of production pressure, time pressure, just sort of forward momentum that keeps us moving. The fourth thing that we observed, what, what this crisis taught us, is that during times of extreme pressure, there's often a loss of reciprocity. What's that mean, Todd? Well, good question. What it means is organizations oftentimes naturally are inclined to turn inward to build walls, to circle the wagons, if I can use kind of a great American Southwest metaphor, right? Circle, they, they sort of move inward and look inward and they gather data from themselves, which becomes a little bit echo chambery and not incredibly valuable. And the, the quick answer is there's, there's just a loss of diversity. And diversity is interesting because diversity doesn't mean just gender, and and race, I mean, it does mean those things for sure, but it also means education and backgrounds and age and links to service, um, experience levels, point of view, all those things are diverse opinions. And then we have to sort of create the freedom to speak up as complexity increases. 
So the more stress we're under, the more we need to consciously and deliberately, very carefully chosen word, deliberately create places where people can speak up. And then the last thing we've learned, what, the, what this crisis has taught us, is that learning and adaption are fundamental to building capacity. I mean, it's, it's, that's everything. That's everything that has to be said. Those are, are really pretty valuable lessons to us. I mean, that, that's, that's a huge part of what we under, understand. But that's really not what I want to talk about today. Today I feel a need, mostly because I've been asked to do this a million times, so get off my back, I'm doing it. Today I want to talk about sort of the, the bouncing forward part. Absent a crisis, right? So when things settle down, is that the right word? When things, when things become more normalized, that's a word we're comfortable with. What will we need to do in order to bounce forward out of this? And that really is an important part of what we want to talk about. And those things I think are really interesting. And there are five of those, five things we need really to move forward. And that's really what we should talk about. So first and foremost, number one, absent a crisis, what we need organizationally is to build robustness and resilience into our systems. So, and, and we need both. So strengthen the robustness while building resilience. Now, we should talk about this a minute because I don't know how much you've thought about this. And it's okay if you haven't because this is all pretty, I mean, we now have a context by which to talk, to think about these things and to talk about them. So maybe this is the first time we've really entered this picture. But when we talk about robust and resilient, they're not the same word, and organizations really need both. I, I could make that a little stronger. I think organizations must have both, using regulatory language. Must, shall have both, right? And the difference, really, is the dam we talked about holding back water. So a dam's a really good um, metaphor for the idea of robust and resilient. So a dam is really robust. It holds back tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of water. And our friend water is really powerful because water doesn't like to be squished down. You can't compress water like you can compress air. And so it's a force to be reckoned with. And if you've been in the flood or, or, or ever been involved in any kind of water event like that, you know that water's incredibly powerful. And so dams must be robust. We must make dams as robust as we need them to be and probably even a tiny bit more robust than they need to be in order for the dam to be effective. The challenge is, is that when the dam fails, it also needs to be resilient. And so... A dam is really good at being robust until it's not. And when it's not, that's when we design spillways and secondary containment and emergency lakes and canal systems where we can manage water away from the dam in order to maintain what robustness is left. 
Now, to a great extent, that's exactly what we want to think about post-crises. I, I hate to say post-crises. At this point in the journey, the voyage that we're on, we want to think about the relationship between robust and resilient. So robust controls, really good rules, regulations, administrative controls, fences, um, uh, sign. I mean, I don't want to just list administrative controls. Really robust responses in your system are super important, but they aren't enough when those things fail and everything will eventually fail because we don't have perfect systems, don't have perfect people, don't have perfect environments. When that system fails, then we need to have resilience in that system. And if we don't have both, we're in trouble, right? So that's important. So build resilience and strengthen robustness in our systems. The second thing we need is we have to insist upon diversity of information. Now more than ever, it's vital to seek voices that don't normally get heard. Ask questions to people who don't normally get to answer questions. And purposely, deliberately, and strategically insist, demand, if you will, on a diversity of information shoot wider and talk to places, gather information from places where you normally wouldn't in the past have gathered information. So now when you have workers approve a procedure, that's probably not enough. Now you want to have many workers from varying experiences, skills, areas, places, right? Shifts. You want to really include them early in the formation of the procedure, the formation of the plan, because that diversity actually is vital as a safeguard against the notion of myopic decisions made with very minute amounts of data. And that's really what this is all about, is during a time of great uncertainty, the luxury of gathering tremendous amounts of data, really deep diving into data, is probably gone. Agility becomes a safeguard because you make a decision on Tuesday and it's all changed by Wednesday. You, you live in the same world I do, so you know that's true, right? Because agility is such a vital part of our, our ability to restore, diversity helps us be more agile. The third one is we really want to think about analysis and we want to really replace the need to fix with the need to learn. And so the old saw on this one, you'll, you'll get this. This is the greatest hits. We've played it a million times before is that in a linear system, a mechanistic system, a system that obeys the laws of physics, a, a pump or a motor, right? These are good linear systems. We use really deductive and inductive reasoning because in those linear systems, those mechanistic systems, causal relationships, cause and effect, classic Newtonian physics, cause and causal relationships exist, right? Now, where this gets interesting is that in a nonlinear system, a complex adaptive system, like when you put people 
in a project, you know, when you include people in getting work done, we don't actually have a linear system. It, it, it doesn't have that cause and effect relationship. It doesn't have uh, the, the repeatability that cause and effect must have and the temporal connection cause always happens before effect that exists in a, a mechanistic system. And so now when you have these complex systems, which involve people, right? What we do there is we look not for the order. We look for patterns and we apply knowledge to those patterns that enable us to allow the emergence of new solutions. And so what you have is in a linear system, each piece, right, each part of that system, right, we can reduce that linear system to its parts, find the broken part, the root cause, fix that broken part, put the system back together, and it operates, right? In a complex system, relationships and interactions between humans and machines and management and leadership and time and production, all those are these relationships and these interactions. All of those are more important than any one individual part of a collective system. That makes sense? So an ordered system, a linear system, you deconstruct it to its parts, and each part plays a very vital role. One could be broken, the root cause. You fix it, and the system is repaired. In a complex system, interactive, interdependent, interrelated, right? All of these interactions between all the components are more important than any one of the individual parts of a complex system. Fourth one, build relationships as a strategy. So if a loss of reciprocity, the loss of sort of generosity of, of, of sharing information across divisions, business units, companies, competitors, industries, if that goes away during a crisis, then in fact the value we have is in realizing that the relationships we build actually give us capacity. And you saw this happen. This is I don't need this is the best one to talk about because I don't really even have to illustrate it. During all during pretty much March, April, May, June, you saw these incredible relationships leveraging and helping, generously helping one another in order to continue to keep the world afloat and moving forward and doing the things it needs to do. And I think of it like this. In order for you to be with your workforce when something bad happens, you needed to have earned the right to do that by being there when all the normal things happen. Mark Yeston told me when he was a chief ranger at a big national park in the United States that in order for you to be there when trouble arises, he had to have been there when trouble didn't arise. So he earned the credibility and the credentials to be there when he needed to be a leader. 
And if you think about that leadership relationship, right, that's actually very significant. You don't get to be a leader just by title. I mean, we're learning that. There's a lot going on in the United States right now, right? You get to be a leader by actually being a leader, by being there when normal things happen so that you have the right to be included when bad things happen. And then the last one, the fifth one, absence of crisis, what we need is to monitor the capacity to learn. So Eric Hallnagel talks about the four pillars of resilience, and Carl White talks about high reliability. Kathleen Roberts talks about sort of success in complex systems. We could talk about this forever. All of them share one idea, and it's the idea of monitoring capacity to learn. Measuring, which is something every organization I'm talking about is desperately trying to figure out because the old metrics aren't as valuable as they used to be. Measuring, you should save for mechanistic systems. Linear mechanistic systems really do value and are well served by metrics. Complex adaptive systems, metrics aren't terribly valuable. Remember, no single part is more important than the other parts. And it's the interaction, interrelatedness in the complexity that actually allows new ideas and solutions to emerge. So metrics really are designed to measure discrete mechanistic things that exist in time. Whereas monitoring really allows you the ability to look at a system at several places, mostly in interactions, mostly where they're interdependent where they're coupled, right? And it allows you to ask this question. Are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? Are we staying the same? And suddenly when you monitor a system, you're really doing something quite different than measuring a system. Measuring a system has a certain amount of finality. It's a snapshot in time. Schmick, that's a, oh, that's not the sound. Snap, no click, that's the word. It, it, that's the sound of a camera taking a picture, right? Whereas monitoring a system is like watching a video where you get the chance to actually identify things like drift and weak signal indicators and ripples in the force. Those things are really, really, really valuable. That, in summary, is pretty much what the bouncing forward idea talks about it talks about what we learned and then more importantly i think it talks about what we need and what we need to bounce forward not to bounce back to normal but to bounce forward and to thrive to actually be better are those five things and they're not expensive and they're not complicated they're not difficult to do they're actually just changes in what we normally think about as leadership and management strategies. That difference between robustness and resilience, the difference between a linear system and a complex adaptive system, the difference between monitor and measure. That's the world you live in now. That's the world I live. We all live there now, and everything's changed. And the way 
we thrive, the way we move forward, is by understanding that these changes have created a new context. And those new contexts are going to require a whole different type of leadership behavior. And so a lot of the old things that we leaned on to really help us create efficiency weren't terribly good at helping us create resilience. Our world has changed from a world that was optimized towards shareholder value, efficiency, production, better, faster, cheaper. Now we're in a world that's really optimized towards robustness and resilience. And we know those words are different. Think of the dam. That's the pod, guys. It's short and sweet, but it's a longer explanation of a lot of what's being talked about now. Take some time. Relax a little. Count your blessings. That's important. But most importantly, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's really important. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. It's not another damn podcast. It's the first damn podcast. Damn it.